Hello, everybody. This is part three. This is part three. This is part three. Uh, what is the world? We're taking you through these little mini episodes. Because old world, new world. Us new world people called light people, we think a certain way. Sometimes it's fun to go back and look at what the old world thought. And today we're doing it to answer the question, what is the world? Part three on water. That was Greg Gilbertson, guys, doing his business. The guy can play guitar. How do go check him out? I just did a little function with he and his buddy Joe Pug. Also, world-renowned musician. Check him out. But also, it's good to have you here with us. Let's talk about, okay, what is the world? Last time we did, well, we started with the whole conversation about Michael Jackson. Of course. What 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 else would we do? And he answered it with, we are the world. And we played the song. If you're just tuning in, we're going to go down a rabbit hole. Why are we talking about rabbits? And this rabbit hole ends with the answer to the question, what is the world? And we're going to look at philosophers today. So how do thinkers, people sitting around applying logic and reason, how do they answer the question, what is the world? Now, for many of you, if you listened last week, or whenever you listen to it, because it's in the past on the interwebs. Part two was sort of like how scientists have answered this question, how cosmologists have answered. And you notice they answered using math, very logical, very reasonable. And guess what? That's what philosophers are doing. Philosophers are using reason and logic to make sense of the world. Okay, are they going to end up in the same place? Because I don't know about you, but when I hear people wanting to save the world or change the world or make the world a better place, then you should always ask the question, what the hell is it that you're talking about? Um, you mean like the world called your neighborhood where that guy always parks in front of the fire hydrant? You're talking about, oh, you're talking about the world where like some big development company comes in and makes you change the rules about how you live? That world? You know, like Lennar or... Pulte homes. What what world are you talking about? You're talking about the world of the New York Mets where they spend way too much money and get nothing in return? What world are you talking about? Today we look at the philosophers. What world were they talking about? So we're not going to cover all the philosophers. It's not like every philosophy ever. Guys, this is a short show. We're just having fun. It's heavy things lightly. But I mean, I'm, not a, I'm not a bot. I'm not an AI bot just spewing out information for your pleasure. I actually have other things to do, like, I don't know, make some toast. But let's touch on a few philosophers, folks who can help us understand this concept, right? A philosopher that I like to cite often is Guglinski, famous philosopher from the 21st century. You may have heard of him, Guglinski. Guglinski will help us. So I Guglinskied, and here's what I found. These are the top searches for what is the world. Top, top, top Googleinsky search, the philosopher called Googleinsky. The world, the world is the totality of entities, the whole of reality. This is my favorite part. The world is everything that is. Okay, all right. That's not helpful. Merriam Webster, the meaning of the world is the earthly state of human existence. Oh, this is hard. 
Then the next searches all do this thing. All the Google searches next, they go to Earth. Google search, what is the world? Earth is the third planet from the sun and the only astronomical object known to harbor life. Oh, okay. Cambridge Dictionary is the next search item. The Earth and all the people, places, and things on it. Oh, why are we suddenly doing Earth? That's interesting. Before it was just sort of a philosophical cut. Now it's Earth. Britannica tells us the Earth and all the people and things on it. The world is the Earth and all the people and things on it. National Geographic comes up next on the search bar. What is the world? Earth, our home planet. It's a world unlike any other. I'm looking at National Geographic's trying to do a little, you know, a little poetic narrative. It's unlike anything you've ever seen before in your life. And you know, they're talking about like palm trees and stuff. So before we get into the philosophy of this weird question, what is the world? It is very clear that light people Googlers have managed to put the following definition at the top of the mind meld we call Google. The interwebs. Here's the definition. They've managed to get up there. It's everything and it's the earth. Whoa. It's both and. Oh, I actually think that tells us something. We'll get back to that. So let's start with Plato. Why does everyone start with Plato? First of all, it's fun because kids play with it. But no, we start with Plato because he's so relevant. He's old and yet provides so many of the new principles for the Enlightenment, right? So Plato sets the groundwork for the thing called math, which we saw in our last episode. The thing, though, unlike modern mathematicians that he's digging deep into, the thing bears a little bit of a different answer for him. He sees the world of material as a type of reverberation, something that fluctuates, that intimates things eternal and fixed. So like math was your daddy last week, here forms are your daddy. Forms is the word he's going to use, right? Plato and people after him, while they were drinking wine, they divided the words of truth. <laughs> Sound familiar out there? And they came to conclusions of faith. And one truth, one axiom, one belief that Plato lands on is that physical phenomena is one world of two. In other words, the earth is not the world. Because you saw Google trying to tell you earth was the world. The earth is not the world. There's a physical world and there is an immaterial world in Plato's, Plato's reasoning. This world he categorizes, this world that we live in, as material, and the other world as perfectly invisible and perfect, right? So aspects of everyday things like tables and birds and toenails and a flash of anger, a moment of joy, these things, these actions, these identities, these all are manifest from a corresponding world, the world of forms. For Plato, the world is two things united in meaning. The objects and ideas in our material world are shadows of the form. And that way your pipe has your pipe. I don't know why I chose pipe here. Look at your finger. Your finger has fingerness. Your pipe has pipeness, right? The handheld thing, the pipe in your hand, 
is an icon of the big pipe in the sky. <laughs> I'm serious. No, really. So the big blue marble floating in space that some of us call the earth, some of us call the world, is actually just an image of a bigger, more precise and perfect world. The astronaut, I'm not, I, I'm not an astronaut, but the astronaut who goes to that moon is able to see, actually see around blue marble. But Plato would say he's not really looking at a round blue marble called the world. He's looking as a shadow of something called the world. It's crazy. But it's exactly the same idea of the, math the mathematicians had last week, where you are a corresponding thing and you correspond to an equation somewhere in some abstract place. So while... Plato wasn't really doing math. Some people think of him as a type of father of math because he theorized and came to abstract truths. Mathematicians answered the question to what is the world by saying the world is math plus the creatures that rise up out of the equations. It's freaky, I know. So basically the world is an image of the world for Plato. Now, what came next was a whole host of Greeks and Romans and Westerners over a thousand years trying to play around with Plato's ideas. Most of them, most of them, not all of them, for most of them, the, the conclusions that they came to were that everything we see as a type of symmetry because there is some perfect symmetry somewhere out there. The reason you can make stuff on Earth, make sense of stuff on Earth is because there is a sensibleness somewhere. And how could you come to know the big sensibleness in the sky was by studying nature here on the ground. And you studied using your reason. Here's something cool that Pythagoras came up with, and, and it's coming out of Plato's world. Here's an answer to what is the world. This is amazing. So using your reason, do this with me. Ready? This is a diagram that came out of Pythagoras came out of the Renaissance and the Enlightenment and that was made, used to make sense of what the world is. You ready? Physically, if you see wetness, can you see it on this screen? If you can't see it, it's a box. It's a, it's a square and inside is like a diamond. On one side of the square, one, the left side is wetness. So one edge of the square is wetness. On the exact opposite side, you see dryness. So where there's wetness, there's dryness, dryness, wetness. If you have wetness, you must know the concept of dry. There's no way around it. At the top and bottom of the square or in, on two other sides, hotness and coldness. And so these are nesses, like pipeness. There is something fundamental about hotness and coldness, dryness and wetness. And what Plato and Pythagoras will say is that if you just stretch out the notion of hotness all the way out to its furthest elements, I mean, to its, to its furthest, most ridiculous end, and you stretch out wetness in this square, if you put them together, hotness and wetness, you get something like air. If you stretch out and think hard about wetness and you combine it with coldness, you get water. Dryness and coldness, 
earth. Dryness and hotness, fire. And so what are the early philosophers doing? And all of the scientific philosophers, all of the light people philosophers are using this on some basic level to understand the world around them. What you're seeing is, is a rational, logical understanding of the physical world around us. And we conclude that there are four elements, air, water, earth, fire. And that reminds me of something really familiar. You get these four elements. You know about these four elements and you know how you know about them. It's not because you studied them at school. It's because if you're anybody of any substance whatsoever, like if you have substance, then you already watched Avatar The Last Airbender and you already know all this stuff and you know it. I think you know it better than the scientists. And in case you don't, well, I'm going to show you all you need to know about what the world is, buddy. Water. Earth. Water. Earth. Earth. Fire. Fire. And Amazing. My grandmother used to tell me stories Gotta about the old days. Now. A time of peace. When the Avatar kept balance between the Water Tribes, Earth Kingdom, Fire Nation, and Air what? Nomads. But that all changed when the you Fire see? Nation attacked. The Fire Nation got crazy. Only the Avatar mastered all oh. four elements. Only he could stop the ruthless firebenders. Oh. But when the world needed him most, he vanished. What? A hundred years have passed, and the Fire Nation is nearing victory oh, in the war. I see. Two years ago, you guys, my father and the men of my tribe journeyed the to the Earth Kingdom to, what to help is the fight world. against the Fire Nation, leaving me and my brother to look after look. our tribe. Some this, people believe that the Avatar was never the Avatar is the one that controls all four elements. The cycle is broken, but I haven't lost hope. I still believe that somehow the Avatar will return to save the world. Yes. And what will the Avatar do? I know you're wondering why the hell I'm showing this. You're going to see that there's four elements. And the four elements, if you look carefully at it, the four elements are being controlled by the Avatar. And if the four elements are properly controlled, what do you have? You have the ability to save the world. Our philosophers came up with the concept that if we look at the world, we can see that it has elemental structure, reason. It has answers. And the answers are found in our rational mind. Just like, ah, just like the Avatar could control the world and save it, so can we if we do proper reasoning and science. If we can just learn to control the elements, we can save the world. And I might argue that that is exactly the entirety of the Enlightenment project. It's all found right in a cartoon. The one that my little Nico used to watch is the one that is educating me about what reality is. What is the world? The world is elements that if we can control them, we can save the world from the evil chaos of elemental demonry. So guess what? You think I'm just playing around, but I'm not. Because if you watch the rest of the philosophical inquest 
all the way through really the 20th century. Now that we're in the postmodern era, things are breaking, breaking loose. But if you look, philosophers took this as a type of principle. And that principle was, is there was something reasonable and static and stable in the universe which pre previously had been a type of the God, God for, for Christians and also God for all the other societies. Now, right, he's getting crazy. But you can see this reflected in the modern philosophers, even in Heidegger, right? So Heidegger, a German, Martin Heidegger, he's philosophizing in the 20th century, and he's realizing that, oh my gosh, uh, there's been this thing let loose, this relativity where... Nietzsche saw it, of course, and it was getting crazy and everybody could make up their own moral laws. And what were we going to do? And Heidegger sort of jumping in on this. And as he goes to answer the world, the question, what is the world? And he's not really answering that exact question. But as he goes to try to apply himself to these concepts of what is reality, he writes an essay called Building, Dwelling, right? And Thinking. And in there, he comes up with something amazing. He comes up but the idea of the fourfold reality. Now, most philosophers just skip over this because it's really hard to understand. I ain't going to try to understand it, but I want to show you what he does in order to try to explain reality. He calls it the fourfold reality. He said there are four parts to reality. Earth, the generous earth on which we mortals live. We've been sent to live on it and we shall return to death off of it. Sky, is the second element. This is Martin Heidegger. The sky whose events determine the weather cycles makes possible the emergence and continuity of life on earth. The sky, earth, sky, air, if you like it, if you prefer. Then he switches gears. The third element in reality is mortals, mortality, ourselves, in our quality of poetic dwellers on earth. We live and affect reality and are affected by it. We sing for the care of the world, and the world sings back. Immortals is the fourth category. Immortals, humans, and our poetry that points with awe at the rendering respectful homage to something even bigger than ourselves, something in eternity. Mm. Sort of a hint toward Plato's forms. I want to stop there for today, but I want you to see that the philosophical engagement of the question, what is the world? It ends in something like a two-pronged concept of things high, things low, things made manifest, things invisible and out there beyond our, beyond the material knowing, right? Soul, if you like it, and body. Soul, body, soul, body, soul, body, soul, body. Let's stop there. But next week, let's finish our fourfold watar on what is the world by looking at what, quote, religious people have said. Of course, that term's stupid on some level. But what people who weigh in and answer something like godly, divinely, what do they say about what is the world? That's next week. We'll talk about that. On watar, I hope you'll keep paying attention to what we're doing out there. We send people into the world to do two years, not unlike Peace Corps, and in those two years, what they find out is that life is incredibly rich and difficult. And when we send folks out in this way, their job is to find local people, really cool, amazing local people trapped in some serious poverty. 
find them and then consult with them and then drive resources toward their beautiful ideas, not ours. If you do that kind of work, you will become revealed unto yourself. That ascetic practice will change your life. So our projects are twofold. Send people to have their lives changed and send people who would properly offered change the lives of others. May it be so. Support us, www.first-things.org and support good music because that's what you're about to hear. Greg Gilbertson, see you by the way at the Symbolic World Summit. I'm going to be the MC. See you there. Peace out. Much love.